Lord, we stand before you this morning to receive from your word. For without it, we have no life. Your word is life unto us. Lord, cause that word to come alive in our understanding, come alive in our affections, our feelings, and come alive in our actions. May it come through our hands and feet on Monday, through Saturday, in the presence of all those who are closest to us as well as those might, who might see us in passing at the grocery store. But nevertheless, let your word come through. And Lord, help this vessel of clay to deliver it as you would have it delivered to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless the Lord. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 6. Whether you're opening pages or opening an app, either one. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from, from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The word of the Lord. Be, be, before I, I, I start, I can't, can't help but remember my grandmother at 11 o'clock in the morning, no, at night rather, yelling at my father, the letter killeth, the letter killeth. <laughs> that was supposed to be, you know, but anyway, it just brings back that memory. So uh, what I'm really wanting to get to this morning is on various occasions in this culture, it seems that we learn through biographies, the story of a person's life. Especially when they are a witness to something that is true or witnessed to something that we would like to be able to do. And they have shown that it can be done. This blesses us. Of course, there's another way in which we learn also, and that is through experts. 
that tell us how to do something or how to get something. And that is a place for both. But in looking at this passage today, I hope that we can see that in some ways we are called to be witnesses. We are called to, to be a biography to those around us, not just experts. Not just, you know, I can tell you how to do it, I can tell you how to get something. But the question, is it alive in your life so that it becomes a living, you become a living letter? Now, so we're trying to answer two questions. What must, what, why must Christ be written in our hearts? And two, a much lesser point, how is it written? So, yeah, this is a two-point sermon today. Now, to just give you a little background and summary, uh, the presence in, there was, uh, back up, there was a presence in the Corinthian church of guys who really thought they were deep in God. Commentators call them super apostles. And they had letters of recommendation. And they had these things that they did to try to impress people that they really were the apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul was, eh, he's all right. You know, he's okay. But we're the real deal. Paul says, no, I don't have any need of any letters of recommendation from anybody. Especially written in pen and ink. Because you, the people of the Corinthian church, you folks are my letter of recommendation. I don't need any of that stuff those guys say they need. The churches, the people of the church, their words and their lives were that letter of recommendation for Paul. But he goes on and says, you're not just a recommendation for me. You're a recommendation of Christ. You are living letters to those you come in contact with. Living biographies of Christ. Now, he wanted to know, or he wanted them to know, that the sufficiency that you reflect is not a sufficiency of me. It's a, a sufficiency of the Lord's work in us, both he and his team that worked together. So now what about this Christ being written on our hearts and why is this necessary? If you were listening, if you were listening to the, the and I'm, I'm sure you were, listening to the Old Testament passage today, we learned that the commandments were given, written on tablets of stone, and the people had committed themselves to obeying those commands. Well, fast forward to Jeremiah's time, and this is Jeremiah's comment, not only on that era, but the calling of the new era. He says, and this is Jeremiah 31, 31b through 33, and then 34. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Sad to say. 
though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hallelujah. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Hallelujah. So what do we see here? We see that they were covenant breakers. Because the law of God was written on tablets of stone rather than on tablets of the heart. Now you have to understand the Old Testament always did call for a heart commitment. It's not like the Old Testament was like, you know, to use my analogy here, they were all experts and now we're all witnesses. There were witnesses in the Old Testament of those who took to heart the commands. But God has done a greater work of the Spirit in the New Covenant, which was announced by Jeremiah and implemented through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's why in that era they could not obey because their hearts, frankly, were stony as well. Now under this new covenant, which is made through faith in Christ, it is the result of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. As I said before, this is a covenant that's implemented in a much deeper way. So that the character and will of God embodied, key word, embodied in Christ is now embodied as Christ works in us. So this isn't something that you just know and do. It is something that comes from us. Now that tells us something about ultimately what happens with evangelism. See, the primary way which went, back up, the primary way in which people come to know and understand God is through the witness of our lives. They experience the words and the life of Christ described in Scripture through us. We now become living epistles, living biographies, because we embody this faith. Not just document it, we embody it. Both Jew and Gentile in their day and all kinds of people in our day become witnesses of his word. The incarnation of Christ was the embodiment of God the Father. Jesus was the witness of God the Father on earth. So he was able to tell Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So then John picks this up in 1 John. We've been looking at that epistle. This is in 1 John 1, 1 through 3. He says, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life 
which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What do we see here? A declaration in which the embodiment that was in Christ is now the embodiment in them, the apostles. And now passing that on to the body of Christ at that time on down to our own. Hallelujah. So now all the different personalities and all the different ethnicities and all the different backgrounds can now become the embodiment of Christ. Now that's good news. Yeah. You know, the Jews had gotten to the point where they thought that the only real people of God were them. The children of Abraham. But what does, God, what does Paul declare by the Spirit of God? That this is no longer an ethnic Jewish thing. All ethnicities, all nations, all tongues can now be a part of the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is not limited anymore to the Jews. That's good news. Otherwise, you know, everybody in here, unless somebody in here is an ethnic Jew, would be out, out on the limb. Now, you know, the Gentile church sometimes forgets that the Jews were first. Now, I had a Jew in my previous church. And we had some discussions about that. From then on, I have tried to appreciate the fact that it was the Jew first and then the Gentile. Let us not, as a Gentile church, think the Jews are set aside for us. No, we're all included. All of our righteousness is set aside. Jewish righteousness, Gentile righteousness, white righteousness, black righteousness, Hispanic righteousness, all that righteousness. Out. We are now one in Christ. Hallelujah. Therefore, we become the aroma of Christ to the world. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Now, we can't get into all of what it means to be death to death, life to life. Feel free to ask me after service. But basically, one of the things that comes out of that is not everybody that sees the Lord Jesus in us will be attracted to him. They may get mad and fight back. Think about it. When Paul was on Mars Hill, some people said, eh, you know, we need to let this guy, we need to sit down with this guy and talk some more about what he's saying. Other people thought, this guy's just babbling. That's just the way it is. Nevertheless, we continue to be living letters of our Lord. Now, what does that tell us? One of the things that tells us is that we are always on. We're never really off. You know, we don't choose to reflect Christ in one setting and decide we're just going to be us in the other one, you know. 
the old folks used to say, I'm going to tell the Holy Ghost to sit back and I'm just going to, you know. <laughs> Jesus, not right now, you know. No, no, it's, it's Jesus all the time. Even in our rough spots. Even in our rough periods of life. Do you know sometimes things can get rough for a long time? We had someone here in this church lose their husband a year ago. They're still experiencing that loss. But you know Jesus can come through all that? That is the beauty of the gospel. We are letters, but yet not perfect letters. Letters of integrity, but not perfect letters. We do have grammatical errors, run-on sentences, and who knows what else. <laughs> but God is working through the texts of our lives, correcting those errors. And what happens? As he works, we shine more for him in all the settings of our lives. Paul states we have this wonderful treasure in what? Jars of clay. So that the power of Christ can be seen to be his and not ours. That is counterintuitive. You ever wonder, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you young folks ever wonder, well, why didn't God just make us perfect so we could be really perfect re reflections of him? Why does he leave us imperfect until the other end? That don't make no sense. Until the scriptures speak. And then you suddenly realize, oh, he did it so that he is the ultimate reflection through our lives and not us. People can't get confused. You know? <laughs> wow. Uh, 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 using last week's, leaving my last name from my last sermon. Terrell is really a wonderful woman. Well, you know, Terrell is a wonderful woman most of the time. <laughs> there are times she isn't. But how is it that Terrell could still be like she is? When life is like it is. Oh, it must be that Jesus that's at work in her. Aha. Uh -huh. Praise the Lord. Now the opposite of living letters is dead letters. Now I call them experts. Why? Because they really know. They really know everything. But none of it lives, is lived through. Now, uh, these are people with unchanged hearts. They attempt to conform to a moral code as they perceive it and often are proud of their accomplishments. Nobody illustrates this better than the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes being the expert teachers of the law. They were poorly published biographies at worst, at best actually, unauthorized biographies at worst. And they were the quintessential purveyors of dead letter. You say, Pastor Stan, how does that work out? What does dead letter look like? Trust me, it's right there in the scriptures. The first is Luke 6, 6 to 11. 
And I'll just paraphrase, but you can check that out. Luke 6, 6 to 11. It's the Sabbath day. And a man is present with a withered or crippled hand. And Jesus is there. Now, you know what those scribes and Pharisees is doing. They are experts in understanding the Sabbath. The word on the street was, if you were a healer or anybody else, you would not do your work on the Sabbath. You would wait until the Sabbath was over to do your work. Question, will Jesus restrain himself? Does he have what it takes? Does he have the stomach to hold it down until the Sabbath is over? He, is he like those peons that can't handle it? Because we can handle it. <laughs> Jesus looked at him and said, Should we do good on the Sabbath or do harm? Save life or destroy it? Uh-oh. I can hear some of them saying, Oh, Lord, what's going to happen now? <laughs> you know. Truthfully, the text there, the language in that text reflects the fact that Jesus was not just disturbed. He was infuriated. Infuriated that they had the attitude they had toward this man. Their reaction to this man was dead letter. So what did Jesus do? He just looked at him said, stretch forth your hand. Boom. Instantly it was whole. And those Pharisees were mad as a wet hen. If we was in the street, you'd say it a little bit differently. <laughs> I mean, they was hot. Dead letter. The truth is, they missed one, one fundamental point of the Sabbath. That bringing goodness and life to people in the midst of their daily struggle is a part of what it means to be in the Sabbath. That actually honors the day. And had dead letter prevailed, that man would have missed experiencing the compassionate character of God in the midst of his suffering and misery. He missed it. Dead letter. Oh, that's not the only example. How about Luke 7, 36 to 50? Luke 7, 36 to 50. Here we have a sinner, a woman of the night, who crashes a Pharisee's party and goes straight to Jesus. It is my contention that she had some encounter with the Lord prior to that. And it so impacted her that she could face the possible scorn of a Pharisee to get to Jesus. And she did it. And she runs in there and she pours this, this oil on his feet. Now you have to understand, this perfume that she poured on Jesus' feet was probably what she used in her trade. But she poured it at Jesus' feet and she's crying and weeping and wiping his feet with her hairs. And this Pharisee says to himself, if he was a true prophet, he would have known what kind of woman this was. And said, please get your hands off of me. You're you going to make me unclean. You're going to contaminate me. Please get back. That's what the Pharisee would have done. 
What kind of reaction was that? Dead letter. Just a dead letter. So Jesus said, oh, okay, let's talk. And he started asking this guy questions. And you know, when Jesus started asking questions, look out. All right? You are going to be trapped. And there is no escape. <laughs> and when he got through, he commended her for her act of love towards him. And then he forgives her sin. What? Now, of course, this really threw him because at this point he's revealing himself as God. He's no one but God could forgive sin. They were smart enough to know that. But had this been you or I, we would have led this person. We would have, we would have led this person to experience the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the case of the Lord, he could just outright do it and did. Had dead letter prevailed, this woman would have missed experiencing the merciful character of God in the midst of her sinfulness. Thank God for the living Christ who now lives through us. Now we are not only to embody him as individuals, we are to embody him as a corporate body. I find it an interesting observation that various groups of the, of the body of Christ has imp have impacted various groups. For instance, the Methodists were the key denomination of the 17 and 1800s for reaching the slaves. The Pentecostals have been known for decades for reaching the poor. The Mennonites missions all over the world. And on our own side, the reform side, many of those who are educated have been reached with the gospel. And in fact, Presbyterians contributed to the various forms of our current government. Pray for the government because they're struggling right now, but <laughs> nevertheless, we contributed to the structure. Now our own church right here, Crown and Joy, as a body, we have the unique opportunity of reaching all kinds of people that were not traditionally reached by Presbyterians. We have the opportunity to do that. Praise the Lord. That's our thing, if you please, as a group. Getting beyond the typical demographic that attends churches like our own. A couple of quotes I'd like to share with you. One comes from my youngest son. He sent us an email and this, although he was reflecting on John's prayer in John 17, or Jesus' prayer rather, in John 17, making us one as we are one, it, 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 it flows into this understanding of how we are living letters to our world. He says we are to be passing it, that is the gospel, the truth, on and out to all our kids, friends, and family, all our employers, employees, colleagues, all the beggars and vagabonds, all the strangers on the street, and yes, even those that just might one day want us dead. Because that's what we are here to do. Love God. Love each other. Spread the word. So that all the world may know 
and believe. A writer named Scott Sauls quotes a Madeline Lingle saying, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their heart to know the source of it. That's pretty slick, isn't it? Amen. 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 This brings me to my last, my second and last point, which is shorter. So we're coming in for a landing. How do we become and grow into being living letters written by the Spirit to Christ, of Christ, to others? First, of course, there's God's direct action. Those we have share. But there's also means that God uses to do his work in our lives. Direct sovereign action, the general and internal call in which he brings us unto himself. Think about it. The Muslims who have testified about a dream that they had about a book. And as they begin to search for that book, they discover that it is the Bible. And they come to Christ. Sometimes God just sends people to people who've never heard of Christ. Among our own church, we have this, 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 this mother that has gone out to reach the Zazal in Turkey. Never even heard of the Zazal. And a whole lot of folks have never heard of the Zazal. And they were an unreached people group. But not anymore. God sends people out. And then God, of course, does the work of regeneration directly by his Holy Spirit. As Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us, he puts a new heart in us and a new spirit and takes out the old stony heart. That stony heart in which stuff just bounces off. You know, the old folks used to call that a hard head. But it's really a hard heart. Actually. The other thing God does is he sends trials and discipline into our lives. We don't ask for that. Hey God, this is the way my life should go, okay? And God says, no, 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 I got to do some things. Stir the pot of our lives. And it's hard. And we don't like it. And we ain't supposed to like it. Hello? I know I'm going through trials, but, uh, you know, I just love it anyway. No, you don't. You just quit lying. You hate it. So go ahead and tell the Lord, I hate this. The psalmist did. Huh? It's everywhere. But they always humble themselves to what God was doing, nevertheless. You know, you read this in 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 8, or Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It is a sign of his love for us. Even as we show signs to love our young ones when they have to be disciplined. So when mommy and daddy get on your case, they love you. Okay? <laughs> then there's this ordinary means of grace that God does through community. That's what church is about. You know, the word, as we're doing now, teaching, preaching, pastoral counseling, the sacraments, which is the Lord's table and baptism, worship and fellowship together, 
both in service and in our homes. And prayer time, where we confess as we did, and the prayer time that will be coming soon in this service. I don't need to go to church. I got a relationship with God all by myself. No, you don't. You may think you have a relationship with God. You may actually have something that is a real spiritual experience. But if you're going to grow in Christ, you, we need each other. Amen. I know people who thought they could live without Christ. And 25 years later, their lives are spiritually impoverished because of it. And they don't even know. See, I live long enough to see some of this stuff wind, wind itself out. And I'm here to tell you, God is right. We do need each other. But yes, then there's an ordinary means of grace that's personal, such as Bible study, prayer and fasting. Meditation on God's Word. And I would like to, 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 to commend to all parents, make sure that your young people know the stories. Know the stories that are in Scripture. You know, I can't stand it when somebody grown, 45 years old, tells me that get Adam and Eve mixed up with Abraham and Sarah. Really? So I'm going to put it to the young folks here. The Garden of Eden. Who was in the Garden of Eden? Abraham and Sarah or Adam and Eve? See? They know. Y'all doing a good job here. And my wife's trying to run away for some reason. Those stories will stick with you when you get old. You see. Then God starts doing things with those stories. He starts showing you the plan of salvation. He starts showing you ways of life. But it all starts with the stories. So I don't care if it's a Bible storybook, act it out. You know, little babies can be baby Jesus or, you know, baby Moses. It, you start now. <coughs> Hallelujah. When they're out the room, how, how old is, 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 is your, your, your baby? A month old? Month and a half? About that? Whatever. You, you can start now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then there's just plain outright living this thing out. It's doing the word. How does a person learn how to ride a bike? You start riding it. Okay? And even if you don't understand it all, as you're walking with the Lord, the Lord starts to reveal. Things start to make sense. Things start to come together. That's why James said, don't be a hearer of the word only, but a doer. Because it's the doer that, oh, okay, I'm starting to see this thing. Yes, I'm starting to see this thing. Amen. In conclusion, point one, we are living letters, not dead letter. Because, because Christ is written on our hearts such that our faith is lived from our hearts and not just some moral code that we just know in our heads. Secondly, we grow deeper in our faith through the corporate and individual means of grace that God gives us, through which he sovereignly works. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you.
that you saw fit to make these jars of, us jars of clay living letters to the world. You could have sent angels to come down here and really show how this thing is lived and done and thought and everything. But you didn't do that. You even start out using that ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors and who knows what else, zealots, you know, to lay the foundation for your church, to lay the foundation for the faith to go out into the world. You even took a Pharisee blew his mind and put him out there to communicate your truth. And Lord, you're doing it through us today. Lord, help us as we commit ourselves to be always on for you, to reflect you in our marriages with our, with our children, that children reflect you in school, that, that we reflect you on the job, we all reflect you in the mall, wherever we're at. May they see you. Even in the midst of our struggles, even when we flare up and, and stumble, Lord, please, may you shine through our lives. These things we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.